And thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast from Connect Church. We'd like to invite you to join us in person at 1101 West Grand in Ponca City, Oklahoma, or on Facebook Live. Go to connectchurchpc.com to learn more about how we are helping people connect every day. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. I haven't shared this story often, but a little over a year ago, Margaret Yates passed away, and she had been a member of this church since uh, the early 40s, and, and her and Gary had been married for nearly 65 years and were part of our church, and my relationship with Gary changed after Margaret died. I, for lack of a better term, became a son to him. And so when I, when I hear this story, how Jesus looked at John and said, John, this is your mom, and he looks at his mom and says, woman, this is your son, I get that. In 1989, there was a couple in Canada, and their lives were forever changed on February 16th. At 9.15 in the morning, they get a phone call that their son was involved in a car accident and they need to come to the scene. Thinking, well, he must have been in a fender bender. We'll go there. We'll pick him up. Uh, might stop at the hospital, but then we'll go home. And they got there to find out that it was much worse than they ever anticipated. There's his car. It's a mangled wreck. His blood is actually dripping outside the car, pouring outside the car. And police officers are redirecting traffic but these cars are driving through his blood. Vera, the mom, could barely maintain herself, could barely control the emotions coming over it. And she, she looked at her husband and she says, we've got to do something. They're driving through my son's blood. And, and, and we, inside, instant, instantaneously, instinctively, she wanted to go down there and grab all that blood and put it back in his body like that would allow him to live. And in those moments of anguish and in that moment of heartbreak, realizing that she would never hold her son again, she would never talk to him again, she would never be able to see him again, and watching that blood and the dirt being mixed in there and cars driving through it, she realized why it is that God the Father chose to spill Jesus Christ's blood. See, the blood is our life flow. It's the very essence of us that when it's flowing through us, we know that we're alive. When Jesus died and they pierced his side, it says that the blood and the water were separated. He was no longer alive. He was dead. It was a sign that he was dead. And all the soldiers knew that's how, why he was dead. When I was growing up and I would get hurt, my dad would look at me and he said, don't worry, Mark, you're not bleeding. Okay. 
And that, that morphed later on when I would get hurt. I'd say, hey, Dad, I'm bleeding. He'd say, don't worry. It's a long ways from your heart. I said that to my boys all the time. Like, oh, I'm hurt. I'm like, don't worry. It's a long way from your heart. It's really fun to watch Lance try to reach his ankle up to his chest and say, no, it's not. But God chose. Get this, guys. God chose to spill Jesus' blood. Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer of the Wesleyan movement, said this, Amazing love, how can it be that though my God should die for me? There, there was something in that blood that was so powerful. It was life-changing. But while Jesus was on the cross, he didn't think about the pain he was going through. I'm telling you, I think I have a pretty high pain tolerance. But if you were to nail me to a cross... I'm probably not going to say, hey, make sure you take care of Terry. I'd be like screaming, Terry, give me some ibuprofen. I've got a headache. My, my hands hurt. My feet hurt. But Jesus is on the cross, and he's not complaining about the pain he's going through. Get this, in, in John chapter 19, starting at verse 23, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from, one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened, the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this was what the soldiers did. And near the cross... Of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Isn't that interesting? So the, the first verse from the cross, Jesus is praying for the murderers, the people who are crucifying him. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second words on the cross is devoted to the thief who's being crucified next to him. And he says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And the third words are about his family, his mother. Now I want you to, to understand this. John, the apostle, was the only one who went to the cross with Jesus. I mean, I like to make fun of the other guys. I, what's, what's up with that? Peter, who said, I would die with you, and yet Peter's gone? Where are Jesus' brothers or sisters? I mean, why didn't they come to the cross with Jesus? It's quite simple. We find out when you read the New Testament that his brothers thought that he was a loon, and they wanted away from him. You know, C.S. Lewis says, when you study the life of Christ, you can only come up with three things about him. Either he was, he was Lord, lunatic, or liar. If you think he was a lunatic, then why would all these apostles die excruciatingly painful deaths if he was just a lunatic? If he was a liar, why would they cover it up? Why would they die for a lie? But if he's Lord, you realize there's something about that. But now get this. I want you to know, his brothers changed their tune after Jesus came back from the dead. Usually when a dead person comes back and talks to you in the flesh, it's kind of a good interior. I'm going to change my mind on this. And they did. In fact, his brother James wrote a book in the New Testament called James. Five chapters long, great read. So you can read it before you go to bed tonight. 
But notice this. As Jesus spoke of his own needs in the greatest time of distress, the point while he was on the cross, what an incredible moment to ponder as a parent or guardian when your family needs come before your own. Jesus is saying, I'm looking out for those around me. Their needs come before my needs. What's important to them is before what's important to me. But I want us to look at what this would be like for Mary. You know, Mark Lowry wrote that great song, Mary, Did You Know? And you, you get these minds. You see in their scripture, it says that Mary pondered all these things in her heart. And as a mom, you realize what it's like to hold your baby and to realize, wow, I can't believe this is mine. I can't believe they're going to let me take it home from the hospital all by myself. You, you love that baby, and that baby is precious. It's a part of you. And the passion of Christ catches this great scene where Mary is watching Jesus, and she has all these flashbacks of when he was a little boy. I want you to watch that scene with us. Feel that was taking place there? I mean, for us, we see Jesus, we, we, we hear about the story, and it, it really is just a written word for us. But for Mary, even being there on the scene, it's her baby. Imagine what kind of emotions must have been present in Mary's life. How is she feeling? Carl, I remember when Natalie watched The Passion of Christ and she came to church that Sunday and she just talked about how she just kept crying through the whole thing. That was a very moving movie to, to, to experience this, but what was it like for Mary? Imagine seeing your kid up there on the cross how would you feel in that moment? Here's what we notice. She had people standing with her. We all need people standing by us in life. 
There's something important about having people who come alongside us. When we go through the terrible things in life, when things don't work out for us, when we're hurting, when we're broken, to have people who come alongside us. In John 19, 25, out of the New American Standard Bible, it says this, Therefore the soldiers did these things, by stand, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. We need people standing by us in life. What is it like that people standing alongside you? And one of the, the, the best pictures I have of watching people stand by is when, when Jack was a fifth grader, his friends decided they were going to run 26 miles. Now, we, we cut it off at 20 miles because it was getting dark and it was late. Moms wanted to go home. Uh, Mrs. Merrifield, the principal, wanted to go home. They do this annual run thing, and the boy said, hey, we're going to run for 26.2 miles. And we cut it off early. Jack was upset because I told him that I would give him $50 if he ran 26.2 miles. Well, he didn't, so he didn't. But at about mile 18, they're coming around, and Jack's walking, and he trips and falls. And if you've ever run for that amount of time, if you stop, your muscles all cramp up. And that's what happened to him. I mean, his leg muscles cramped up. He screamed for help, and his friends stopped running. They went back and picked up Jack and helped him to his feet and started running together until Jack could run again. That's what it's like to have people running alongside you. That when things are going on in your life, when you're hurting, when you're in pain, when you're in angst, you're not doing it by yourself. You've got people who are going alongside with you. See, the church is built to be a community of Christ. And as a community, we come alongside each other. And we build each other up. And we cheer each other on. Now think about this. You guys ever watch geese fly? I mean, they're loud. When, when geese are flying, you can hear them. But they fly in a V formation. You know why they fly in a V formation? You can fly farther and faster if you're flying in a V. I've never flown, so I've never done it in a V. I mean, I've flown in a plane, but I've never actually flapped my wings and flown. But then why do they honk? I mean, it's so annoying. Everybody gets that. And it's a great thing because if you're a hunter and you hear the honking, aim your gun in the air and fire and start shooting. I mean, it's like, hello, you're giving me a good target right now. But when geese honk, they're encouraging one another. You can do this. You can go on and on and on. And then when the, the goose in front gets tired, he pops out to the side and goes all the way to the back of the V. And now he's going to get the wind, the, 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 the wind protection and get stronger and be able to go on. If a goose gets injured or shot by a hunter, another goose will go down with him until it's ready to take flight again, and then they will join another flock of geese. When you're honking at other people, what are you honking at them? I mean, when I'm in the car driving and people are in front of me are going slower than they should be going, and I'm honking my horn, I'm not encouraging them to keep going. I'm like, you need to go faster, like right now. And so we were driving in the car, and Jack goes, Hatch, I'm honking this person. I'm like, no, you're a student driver. You should never honk at anybody. He goes, well, you do it. I'm like, yeah, but notice I never do it when your mom's in the car.
We need people standing alongside us that when they're honking at us, they're encouraging us. You know, in the world in which we live in, we need to know what's right and what's wrong, and we need to encourage people to do the right thing. Because there's a lot of wrong stuff going on out there, and people are like, oh, I just want you to tell me I'm okay. And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you you're okay if you're doing the wrong stuff. We need to encourage people and say, you know what? God's got a bigger purpose for you in life. He's got a bigger plan for you in life. And it's not to be overwhelmed in sin. It's to be freed up for God. Henri Nouwen writes this. He says, a priest is a compassionate compassionate being with. He's a Catholic person. He writes, when when you're a priest, you're you're being with people. You are alongside them. And so when people are going through hurts, you're just being with them. There's something amazing about that. But you know what? God has called us into a royal priesthood to walk life with people, to be alongside people. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging in God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. You are a chosen people. And isn't it great to be chosen? Anyone here remember the playground when you're in elementary school and they, they chose teams for football or kickball or anything ball? What was it like when you were chosen first? I don't know. I never was. Just tell me. What was that like? But when you were chosen last, and even the embarrassing part, when you're chosen last over the girl who couldn't run or do anything, and you're still chosen last, you're like, what's wrong with me? But God says, I have chosen you to be a royal priesthood. I have picked you for my team. I have sent my son to die on a cross for you. It's not by mistake, but it's by the grace of God. And so because of that grace, because God has poured out his grace, because God has poured out his salvation, because he says, I want you on my team, there's something amazing about that, that even when I fall down, I can get back up. You see, it means God has put something in you that he wants to work out for his purpose in other people's lives as you are with them on his behalf. So get this, connectors. When you leave this building, you're a part of the royal priesthood, the the called ones of God. The Greek word for that is hagios. You know what it means? Holy ones, the saints. So you are called of God. You are the holy ones. And when you leave this building, you are called on behalf of God to be God's hands and his feet in a world that desperately needs God. And so we have to be with people. You know how tough it has been this last year to be with people? And as a a pastor, when someone calls and says, I'm going to the hospital, usually I hop in the car and I go to the hospital. This year, when someone says, I am on the way to the hospital, I I don't hop in the car. I'm like, hey, text me. Let me know how things are going. Kenneth was with me. I almost talked my way back in, in the hospital when Shelly Williams went in. I almost got back into the emergency room. I knew the girl that worked there. I, I was working it all out. She goes, hey, I think I can get you back there. She calls someone back there. <laughs> she looks at me. She smiles. She goes, you can't go back there. I'm like, oh, man, really? But there's so much more to being with people. 
And so God says, I want you to be with them. So we walk alongside when people are going through tragedies, when they're hurting, when they're broken. We walk alongside them. That's what God has called us to do. Jesus said this, My Father's always at His work to this very day, and I too am working. God doesn't stop working on our behalf. God hasn't forgotten about us. Leonard Sweet, in his book Nudge, says, Sometimes it's less about our witness than about our withness. In fact, our best witness is our withness. To be a witness, you have to be with people. So the best thing, the best call that God has put on our lives is to be with people. That's what we're called to be. We look back on the scene of Jesus and we see who is at that cross with Mary. It was Mary and her sister. It was Mary Clopas. It was Mary Magdalene and John. Now I like making fun of the other disciples, but as I was digging into this, why is it that John was there and everybody else wasn't? Well, if everybody else was, they would have arrested them for insurrection. They would have arrested them for crimes against the Roman Empire. But John was young, the youngest disciple. And so they thought, well, he's just a kid. What could he do? I get this. Just because you're a kid doesn't mean God can't do great things with you. You want to hear a great story about John? John was the youngest disciple, and he lived the longest. Not because he was the youngest, because he died of natural causes, which is an amazing feat because they tried to kill him, and he just wouldn't die. They dropped him in a vat of boiling oil, and he didn't die. It wasn't like he he died of natural causes because he flew under the radar. I mean, he did some crazy stuff out there, and they tried to kill him, and they couldn't do it. One guy. One guy stood there and said, you know what, I'm going to be with him. That's why Jesus looked out and he said, take care of my mom. My, my other brothers and sisters who should be here right now, they aren't here, and she needs someone to take care of her. She needs someone to know who I am, the poor in their life. That's who John became. Here's the other thing. Our pain doesn't absolve us from our responsibilities. Sometimes when we go through the tragedies of life, we just feel and say, I've got nothing else to give. Have you ever done that? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever laid on your bedroom floor and told your wife, I just can't give anymore? Just because you're worn out, just because you're exhausted, just because the spiritual battle has attacked you, does not absolve us from responsibilities. What God has called us to do is lean into Him. We sang that song, when you're empty, fill me up, fill me up, Lord, fill me up, Lord, fill me up. And there's times in our lives where we have to ask God not just to fill us to the top, but just to keep filling it on over the top of it. This morning I was uh, making cold brew. It takes 18 hours to, to make good cold, cold brew. So I, I started this morning, so that tomorrow morning I can depress the, the top of my thing, pour it in there, add the amount of water I do to make it the perfect blend. Well, I wasn't thinking about my cold brew while I was doing this, and I overfilled it. 
And so I had coffee grounds on the counter, and I, I quickly cleaned it up. But I think sometimes God says, I just want to overfill you. I, I, want, I want your coffee grounds to pour out over everybody around you. It's really good cold brew, let me tell you that. And God's saying, I'm pouring something in you that is really good. And when it pours out on the other people, it's going to bless them. It's going to lift them up. It's going to be better than you could ever imagine. Richard Stearns, the president of World Vision, tells about when he went down to Haiti after the earthquake several years ago. They walked into a church, and there was a lady there who was leading worship. And when a building fell, it fell on her left arm and her right leg. And by the time they discovered her, there was no blood flow in there. They had to cut off both her right leg and her left arm. And she's sitting up there leading worship, and she's got a prosthetic wooden leg on, on the one side, and she only has one arm, and she's leading worship with one arm. And a huge smile on her face. He walked up to her afterwards and said, I just want to know, how, how can you be so excited? How can you be so exuberant? The, the earthquake was terrible. It was horrendous. How could you... Why are you so excited? She goes, are you kidding? I get to sing to God every Sunday. God saved my life. God answered my prayer. And while I was covered by that building, I kept praying, God, let them find me. God, let them find me. I only lost an arm and a leg. I still got Jesus. What a powerful thing to say. I still got Jesus. C.S. Lewis says this, pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Sometimes when we are going through painful situations, it's our opportunity to focus on God. Taking care of his family is a part of Jesus' ministry. I'm here on purpose, and that purpose is to grow into momentum, not to shrink to a grain of sand. Henceforth, I will apply all of my efforts to become the highest mountain of all, and I will strain my potential until I reach heaven. Our call isn't to shrink back, to go forward. It isn't to, to forget what God has called us to do, to be everything that God has called us to do. Ralph Waldo Emerson says, you cannot do a kindness too soon, for you never know how soon it will be too late. There was a nurse in western Oklahoma, and she took care of patients, and one night this, this lady just kept crying and screaming, and the nurse would come in there, and she was a little bit annoyed about it because she had other things to do. And she goes, I, I, I'm hurting, and I'm afraid to die. She, she walked in there, and she held her hand. And she had pain medicine for her, and, and she had to get her to trust her before she would take the pain medicine. And they would just sit there and talk, and, and she got up to leave after she took the pain medicine. She goes, please don't leave. I'm afraid to die. And so for the next hour, this lady in the nursing home would tell her stories about her life. And that nurse would just sit there and she would caress her hair. And they would talk and she'd caress her hair. 
The lady ended up falling asleep, and the nurse went back out, went to the nurse's station, went back about doing her business. The next morning, she goes back into the room, and the lady was just laying there so peacefully. She walks over to to tell her good morning, and she puts her head, her hand on her forehead, and realizes that she had passed away. You know, the last memories that that lady had was that someone cared about her. Sometimes we get hung up with this or that or the other, and we forget that God just calls us to be with people. Connect Church. We're about connecting people to God, connecting people to other people, and connecting people to an abundant life. Remember, God has called us to connect. Let us never forget the mission that God has called us to. It's it's easy to get off track and to think, well, this is what I'm called to do, that's what I'm called to do. But God has called us to people, not tasks people. In 1629, there was an emperor in India, and he married the love of his life. Just completely, unashamedly in love with her. He treated her like a queen, and she was a queen, but he treated her like she was amazing. Did everything she wanted, would get things that she wanted. She got sick and died. He was so heartbroken. And he said, you know what? I want to build a shrine for her. So he went out and he found the best architects of, of their land. He found the best engineers. He brought them together. And he said, I want to build a shrine for my beloved. I loved her so much. And my life will never be the same without her. And so they started to build the shrine. But because it was a huge overtaking, it didn't take place in one, three, five, six years. It took years to build. After the construction had been going on for six or seven years, the emperor walks into this room and he sees this ugly wooden box and he goes, I don't want anything that ugly in my shrine. Let's throw it away. You know what they threw away? They threw away the body, the love of his life. The very reason they were building the shrine. I think in our lives it's so easy to throw away God, to throw away people, to throw away what he wants to do in us. And we forget we are called of God. We forget that God is calling us. There's something amazing about just leaning into God and saying, God, speak. When we set up the temple that is our lives to God, we say, God, take it. Take all of it. And it's so easy 
to push God to his side and say, God, you can't have this part of my life. We, we build closets in our lives, and we say, God, you can clean the entire house, but let me keep my closet. We say, God, you can have this part, you can have that part, you can have that part, but this is my closet. What's in your closet today? What's off limits for God? In church, would you pray with me? Dear God, right now, Lord, as we talk about what it means to be in community with you, to be in community with others, God, our top goal is that you're number one in our lives. And nothing else can work out unless we're standing there looking up to you. I think about John, most likely just a teenager, but yet given responsibility for Jesus' mom. Sometimes we look at our lives, we say, you know, I, I'm too old, I'm too young to be used by God, therefore I'll wait until some other time, then I'll be used by God. Then there's other times where we say, you know, I'm too old to be used by God, but you know, God called Noah when he was 500. So if you're not 500, you can still be used by God. What is it that God's calling you to? What is it that you've got to lay down on the altar and say, you know what? This is where it is. It doesn't allow us to, to, to sit in this moment, to meditate on God in this instant and ask God to speak to us. Ashley's going to sing, but she's going to lead us toward God.